0: You're listening to Sermon Audio from Gospelite Baptist Church. For more resources or to donate to this ministry, please visit Gospelite.org. Number one, instead of pushing your man-made rules, come to the other side and live what is clearly stated in Scripture and only by what is clearly stated in Scripture. Look at what's going on here in verse number nine. In verse 9, we have a man who is saying, uh, Jesus talks to people who are trusting in themselves that they were righteous. There were some people in this crowd who were trusting in themselves. They were more righteous. They were clean. They were pure. They were righteous. I'm a good guy. I'm, we're better than this group. We're better than that group. We're more religious than those that say they're religious. We're better. They trusted in them selves. You know what's interesting about this is the Bible is speaks contrary to that. In fact in Romans chapter 3 and verse number 10 as it is written none is righteous no not one. Hold up the universal symbol for how many people according to scripture are righteous. Zero. None. There is none righteous. And so someone may say here today well well preacher wait a minute. I mean I thought I was righteous in Christ. Well, let's be careful here to understand what that is, because there's a difference between practical righteousness and positional righteousness. In Christ, you have a righteousness, but it's not your own righteousness. When you turn from your sin and you embrace Christ by faith, there is a biblical term for that called you are justified. And the word justified is a theological word that describes what happens to you at conversion. That God takes a sinful person and he imputes to that person the righteousness of Jesus Christ. He became the payment for your sin. And he who lived a perfect life, a righteous life, places that upon your imperfect, unrighteous life. And when God looks at you now, he sees Jesus not because of what you have done, but because of what Christ did has done for you. So God, therefore, can declare you righteous based on the righteousness of Jesus Christ. That is positional righteousness. So therefore, I can say, I am not a righteous person. Please listen, if you think you're a righteous person, it's because you're comparing yourself to the people around you instead of comparing yourself to the standard, which is Jesus Christ. And sincerity as a true Christian flows from an honest admission that says, I am not a righteous person. I have a lot to grow in. I have a lot to improve in. I'm not there yet. I'm working my way there, but I'm not a righteous person. Philippians chapter 3 and verse 9 says it best and be found in him not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law. But that which comes through faith in Christ the righteousness from where from rules from the law no from God that depends on our faith but the essence of religion says I believe in man-made rules and verse number nine says they trusted in themselves and when you trust in yourself what naturally flows out of that is that you will treat others with contempt The King James says you will despise others even in your own family. I have watched Christians despise other Christians because they're not exactly like them. They don't do exactly what they do. They have a different set of rules they live by. So therefore, we treat them with contempt. We despise them. Be honest. How many of us have nourished at times in our lives negative, critical, judgmental thoughts about others? who are not as righteous as we are. That's self-righteousness. That is the essence of religion. That is what God despises. And so instead of pushing our man-made rules, I propose this morning that why don't we live a little, i laugh a little. I mean, just let go and let God quit living in this little box that we live in as religious people trying to keep the law. And let's come to the other side of just simply, clearly preaching and teaching what the Bible says beyond any shadow of a doubt. I don't want to live within my own system of self-righteousness. I've done that. Man-made rules. May you, may I, may we not judge people based on what we assess their spirituality to be, but what is clearly stated in Scripture. Sometimes this takes a while to adjust to because some of those subjects may even include things that we have strong convictions about. Like personally, uh, our our family practices total abstinence from alcohol. It's what we practice. And we've got some scripture that will definitely speak of the dangers of that and how uh, just a a sip of alcohol can can lead to drunkenness. And 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 we've talked about uh, maybe our personal values regarding that and We've even talked about things like tattoos or body piercings or hair. The big three in my my world was hair, dress, and music. Some of you are probably like, huh? Really? Hair, dress, and music, huh? I mean, you, you relate a little bit more to the alcohol issue than you do hair, dress, and music. But I know, and I've come to know, That there's a lot of wonderful believers who realize that these things are not explicitly stated in Scripture and some people believe that they have the freedom to make a different choice. And it's absolutely essential for my own growth and godliness according to Scripture that I don't judge or negatively assess someone else's personal conviction in regards to something that is not clearly stated in Scripture. And so when I do judge others in regard to something that is not explicitly stated in scripture, then that is the essence of being a Pharisee, a religious person. So several years ago, I stopped pushing my man-made rules on my family, on my church family, and I came to the other side of only preaching what is clearly stated in scripture. And it's changed my life. You see, I don't fight over ancillary subjects and I can be friends with somebody that doesn't believe exactly like I believe, because if it's not clearly stated in scripture, then there's some freedom there. I don't have to choose that for you and you don't have to choose that for me. Number two, secondly, instead of measuring someone's spirituality by externals, come to the other side and enjoy the unique differences of the children of God. Wasn't that one of the most amazing parts of the, of the movie? I loved it when you saw P.T. get excited about a woman with a beard. He looked at her with eyes of love and said, They're going to love you. You don't see this yet, but you're awesome. And then he would look at the, the wolf man and, 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 or, the, or the little midget or, or the person that was seven foot six inches tall and all these oddities in the movie, but he embraced them and he loved them and he became their best friends. You see, I'm not going to make the mistake that this man made. Look at verse 10. Two men went up into the temple to pray. It's very distinct. Two men. One was a Pharisee. One was a tax collector. Let's just take a moment and talk about these two. First, the Pharisee. The Pharisees, let's review. They were a religious sect of Judaism. And during the time of Christ, there was only six 1,000 Pharisees total. Their name literally means... Are you ready for this? Pharisee literally means separated ones. That's what it means. Used to be one of my favorite words. I mean, I, I would put that on the mission of our church. We are separated. We are Pharisees. I mean, just put it out there, you know. Separation sounds a lot better, but, you know, I mean, it means... Separated ones. They lived by a rigid adherence to the ceremonial law. These guys were usually about the way stuff looks, how a priest should dress, how the temple should be set up. They were into hand washing and Sabbath rules. So much of what they believed was known as the oral law, not stuff explicitly stated in Scripture. But they made up 600 additional rules. And even within these 600 additional rules, they all had their particular way of looking at that. Which I find interesting because sometimes when you when you get to where you're making up stuff, then you have a different interpretation of what you're making up. Now everybody's got a different way of interpreting that. I remember in my world, it was in the dress category, it was really weird. Because we would tell girls, you know, they had to wear, like some girls could wear like culottes. I don't even know really what they are, but they're strange looking (laughs) and and and, you know they wear these tents and then sometimes when you go skiing, you could wear ski pants but you had to wear the culottes over the ski pants so it was an additional rule but we're going to actually make it like even more really crazy because our interpretation of that is different than your interpretation of that so that's what we get into inch two inch half inch less and so we're all, we got inches now involved. So it, it, I remember at my college, they had a, a six inch rule. I don't know where that was in scripture, but I could not sit. I remember I was sitting next to Caroline. True story, true story. I've got a witness, right? In the lobby of our college and we were sitting and a lady walked up with a ruler and she put the ruler between us. We were sitting five inches and she turned us in and we got the merits for sitting five inches instead of six inches. Now, this exists. This was not a college with two kids. They had 3,000 students. And it was all about the letter of the law down to the very inch. They were intelligent, the Pharisees. Very intelligent. They were passionate about what they believed. They believed they were about the most important things in life. But they were blind. That's why I love that song. Open the eyes of the blind. I love that Joe. Open our eyes. We need... You know what? You think we're talking about just lost people. There's a lot of Christians that need to open their eyes. That's the thing about being a Pharisee. You can't see it in yourself. You're blind. They were the most religious people of their day. If you could have interviewed a Pharisee, here's what they would have said. We're the committed ones. We're going to be the last men standing. We're the ones tolling the line. We're sticking with the stuff. We're the ones that refuse to compromise. You know what I have found over the years? That churches are breeding grounds for Phariseeism. Churches can be breeding grounds for religion. Now, second, the publican or the tax collector. Now, they were of Roman occupation. Most tax collectors would have been under house arrest. These were sketchy guys. They were sketchy. I mean, according to Roman law, they made their living off collecting taxes, but you only made money off of cheating and lying and being dishonest about what someone owed. So if they owed $300, you charge them 400 They don't owe 400 but that's how you make your money. You lie. And so they weren't very popular. So look at verse number 11 in this passage of Scripture. It says here, the Pharisee was standing by himself and he prayed thus, God, I thank you, God. It's kind of funny here. He's all by himself and he's looking at all of these people. And he says, Lord, I just want to thank you that I'm, I'm not like everybody else. I'm like the best. He's all by himself. He's not even like, I'm glad that we, he's like by himself looking at everybody else, sizing everybody up and saying, Phew, nobody in this temple gets it, but me. And by the way, God, I'm really glad I'm not like that dude over there. He was forming his opinion about this publican by what he could see, sizing him up. That's what religion is all about. Religion is all about looking at people and uh, uh, forming assessments based only on what you can see, judging by externals. So if you and I were to do a little test this morning and determine who is more spiritual or who is more godly, which one of these people would it be? I'll give you two different choices. You think about it. Make your own assessment. Number one, the first person is quiet. They're reflective. They are serious and watchful and straight-laced. The second person, he is zealous and outspoken and bubbly and aggressive. Which one's more spiritual? Which one's more godly? Answer. Both. (laughs) Both are. Because being like Jesus Christ is not cloning people. You see, if everybody was like Jesus Christ, none of us would be the same. God has made all of us unique and God has made us distinct as individuals and your expression of godliness may be completely different than my expression of godliness. So, we do not need to pressure people. This is so freeing. I don't need to get up here and pressure people into into living a certain way according to all of you need to live the way Capace lives. You know, I don't need to do that now. I just preach what Jesus said. It's so free. I mean it throws off a lot of the stuff that that, 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 that that I think splits churches and causes fights and disagreements and arguments so we don't pressure people to conform to some extra biblical code of conduct that is not taught in scripture. We stop measuring people by the way they look. And we come to the other side. It's fun over here. There's freedom. You can worship. I can worship my way. Somebody says, well, I, I, I like worship in this way. I, say, well, I, I enjoy this way. And somebody over here says, well, I enjoy this order of service. And somebody, well, I kind of enjoy this order of service. And somebody says, well, I like, you know, the Assembly of God Church. And somebody, well, I, I like over there Gospel Light. You know, hey, praise God. We're all on the same team. Amen. You see, there was a day when I wouldn't have had Lance. He's not a Baptist. Sorry. You know. I wouldn't have had him. I would have been fearful of that. I would have, I would have thought, you know, what if somebody gets upset? Because, well, I know he's probably a Christian. At least I think he is. I I don't know much about him. And, you know, just a little different. And it's amazing. I would have never become a foster parent. I would have never understood what it's like to receive children into our church and our home. And this would have, none of this would have ever happened. Had not we learned to live a little, laugh a little, take a risk, go to the other side, get out of our comfort zones. Wow. Number three, instead of majoring on rules, come to the other side and major on relationships. This is where it's at. Look at verse number 12. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all I receive. So he's talking about his life as a a Christian. His his life in religion is, here's what I do. I do this. I, I go to church. I give my tithe. I sing my songs. I do these things. Form without function. Everything's orchestrated. Don't upset the order of service. Religion is all form and no function. You do the right thing, you stand in the right place, but no real impact. Churches are filled all over the country with these type of lifeless religious people. And so you may go to a church on vacation and say, man, they were just dead. I mean, just it seems cold and nobody was friendly and nobody shook my hand and there's hand sanitizer everywhere. It's like every pew has it and it's just like you can tell everybody's nervous and they everybody sings monotone exactly lifeless everybody's got to be the same no form with no function let me give you five quick areas to examine if you're going to choose relationship over rules number one during our weekly worship services why are you here for instance why are you here? The purpose of this is to give us an opportunity to pour out a heartfelt river of adoration and worship to Jesus. But some would be uncomfortable with the touchy-feely part of our service. Just kind of enjoy it. Enjoy Jesus. Now, and everybody, listen, Joe said Jesus loves affection. He does. He lo- Do you like to hear the words, I love you? Do you like to hear the words... You know, man, I appreciate you. You're, you're a great person. I'm, man, thanks for being. But you like that? I like that. I mean, I enjoy that. Made in the image of God. And so we have a, a, a time that we can worship God. We can tell him how much we love him. We do it through our giving. We can do it through our service. We can do it through our worship. And so what I say is that if you really are going to pour out your heart to Jesus, you don't have to necessarily lift a hand, maybe a pinky. But that's good. We'll take a pinky. Just lift something. Maybe you say, well, I don't like to move a lot. Well, then tap your foot. Move something. Something's got to move your, Hey, look. If, if you really are... Look, when I kiss my wife, it's not like, you know, hey, honey, goodbye. Stand still. Wait. Pucker up. Okay. Now, we're going to touch, but we're not... I'm not going to press into the soft spot. I'm just going to, like, peck you right now. I don't want to stir the emotions. So are you ready? At the count of three. Actually, honey, use some mothmosh first because I don't want a bad experience. Because if I have bad experience, I might not do it again. So let you see, that's sick. Exactly. That's how we go to church. Want that exact him? Give me that one. No, no, no. Hey, I don't like the bus, vo, uh, voice fluctuations. Settle down. Dude, this guy over here is like moving. What is he moving for? We're in church. Quit. Move. You're sitting way too close. Back off, buddy. This shake-in time drives me crazy. People are trying to touch me and tell me they love me. This is ridiculous. You see, that's 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 weird. We come to church to just say, Jesus, we love you. We pour out lavishly upon the one who died on the cross for us. Some people express it a little bit on the, on the emotional side. Others express it a little bit on the soft side. But we all express it some way. Can I get an amen? So you do it during the worship service. Singing, listening, giving. Number two, participating in small groups. And I'm just going to preach this in seven minutes here. Participating in small group, we love one another, we bear one another's burdens, we challenge one another, we hold one another accountable. Small groups can make sometimes religious people uncomfortable because we have to open up and religious people don't like to open up. We don't want anybody to know our stuff. Number three, personal Bible study. Now, a religious person does this. They just check the box. They read the Bible through every year. They never miss. And it's just mm, mm. But where does the Bible ever say you read your Bible through a year and check the box? It, listen, you got to meditate, get into it, enjoy it. If you don't read your whole Bible through in a year, big deal. Just spend some time in God's Word. Get something. Let God speak to you. And then, what about our prayer life? Are we saying the same ritualistic prayers—Father, Son, Holy Ghost? One's the fastest, gets the most. Or do we actually take the time to stop and hold hands around the dinner table and pray a prayer? Where actually one of the religious people in the circle say, "Well, that was long, dude. I'm hungry." You know that means you probably prayed a pretty good prayer. (laughs) And then what about my service to Christ? Do I just kind of put in my church time? I come, I sit, and then I walk out, and I tell everybody during the week, "Yeah, I went to church." Or do I serve God? Do I do I have a place in children's ministry? Do so I volunteer as a receptionist? I'm in the church parking lot. My worship, my walk, my work. Number four, instead of acting like everything is always okay, come to the other side and confess your brokenness. You see, in verse number 13, we see that this publican said... This tax collector standing afar off would not even lift up his eyes to heaven But he beat upon his breast and he said god be merciful to me a sinner He wasn't ashamed of the fact that he had a need. He wasn't ashamed of his condition. The pharisee was lacking this and he was kidding himself I'm, not this i'm not that I believe one of the most important and helpful things a christian can do is genu- genuine honest personal reflection We need accountability. We need vulnerability. It leads to sincerity One of the most incredible things that I've experienced as a pastor is being able to tell you that I'm not perfect and I've got every now and then my wife and I argue. (gasps) Oh my goodness, the pastor, he's got issues. He's supposed, it's like God and the pastor and then some days it's actually the pastor and God. It just depends on who's having the better day. I mean, the pastor is like, you know, he's almost infallible, isn't he? No, that's the one that covers up sin. No, that's the one that usually goes to jail after about 15 years of covering up sin and trying to live by the letter of the law when you really can't do it. And so instead of confessing to the church and and, and to a small group and getting some help and, and, and being vulnerable, no, he covers it up until he explodes one day and goes to jail for child molestation. It's happening all over our nation in religious churches. But when we're honest, when we're open, You see, the unexamined life is not worth living. We all need to do a good, thorough spiritual inventory where we ask ourselves, what am I about? What am I doing? What's most important to me? We need that often or we get off track so quickly. I do. Number five, instead of the path of pride, come to the other side and pursue humility. You see, humility is not something you be Humility is something you do. The Bible never says be humble. The Bible only says humble yourself. For instance, in verse 14, Scripture says, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself. Humility is not necessarily Thinking less of yourself. Humility is not beating yourself up, always throwing yourself under the bus, always making yourself look bad. That's not humility. It's not thinking less of yourself. Humility is making the most of other people. Philippians 2.3 says it best. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility. Humility, count others more significant than yourself. And there's three practical ways to do this. Number one, and this is good, dads. I'll close with this and we'll pray. This is a Father's Day closing. Number one, dads, embrace misunderstandings. Guess what? Don't make Father's Day about you. That's my day? Hey, y'all, remember me? I'm, 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 I'm the father. They, they named this day after me. You know. One of the greatest challenges of humility will be when you're not recognized, when you have to embrace neglect, when you have to embrace being slighted, when you're not the one that's recognized and God is able to humble you so that he can exalt you. It's not about did you get the biggest gift or did somebody remember to wish you happy birthday or did the pastor remember to say hi or visit me at the hospital. It's in those moments when when we can say, God, it's not about me. Number two, hide your accomplishments. Don't insist that people refer to you in a certain way. Hide your accomplishments. You know, it used to be all about my accomplishments. I remember, and I confessed to the church this morning, stuff you already know, but you know, back in the day when when, when we would baptize and, and we would we would in our movement, you know, you would go to this big convention and you would get like a, a banner or you'd get recognized for having those baptisms in the state. And, and so we would baptize, and, and, and we wouldn't follow up on these people. We, we weren't. Sometimes we baptize a child twice who got saved, and then he got saved again. Instead of caring and working and, 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 and helping that child understand, we just looked at it as another way to have a baptism. You say, preacher, that's awful. I know. I know it's awful. Why do you think I'm telling you? I don't do this anymore because I'm not religious. I know it's awful. I, at the time, I thought it was great because my name was in lights. At the time, I thought it was great because I got to walk on a platform in front of 5,000 people and be the man. But that's religion, you see. So what we do is we hide our accomplishments. It's okay. I don't need to be recognized. What's important to me is my family. What's important to me is that I, I love my wife and my kids and I love my church family and, ah, you know... I'm not in the SPC to be popular, have a seat at the table. I mean, if, if, if that happens, great. If they ask me to speak at something, hey, I'll go. I'll do my best. I'll, I'll help when I can. And But I'm not in this thing to be recognized. I've gotten past that. That was my old life. That was my religious life. Now I'm involved in more of a, look, I, I want to see others have great success. And, 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 and I want to see others exalted as God begins to move in our movement. I'm not looking to be number one anymore. But I used to. And then be the first to seek reconciliation. Gentlemen, if you're having marriage problems, when's the last time you just told your wife you were sorry? And just asked for forgiveness and just said, Look, I'm not gonna we're not gonna fight anymore. I'm not I I just want to say I'm wrong. And I, I need to get this right. I want us to thrive again in our marriage. Sometimes we need to say I'm sorry first and, and, and seek reconciliation. That's humility. Out with religion and in with genuine. Christianity, come to the other side just a quick review instead of pushing your man-made rules come to the other side of living by what's clearly stated in scripture instead of measuring someone's spirituality by externals, come to the other side and, and enjoy the unique differences of the children of God instead of majoring on rules come to the other side and major on relationships instead of acting like everything's always okay come to the other side and be broken with the rest of us and instead of the path of pride, come to the other side and pursue humility. It's a great life. I've learned to live a little. I've learned to laugh a little, and guess what? I risked it all to get here. I lost every friend I ever had. I lost every accolade. My name got pulled from so many lists and so, but you know what? I wouldn't change it for the world. I love it. It's actually fun. Just being able now to be home some, a lot more, and spend time with people that I really love the most, that I was neglecting before to try to be popular with people that would even leave me if I didn't abide by their man made rules. This is so, this is just so different for me. But I'm loving it. I'm loving it. And I actually feel more like Jesus today than I did back then. And I just want to thank you for letting me go through this process. Last week was maybe bigger than I thought. Not because we joined the SBC. That's not it. But because I finally made a a move to network with people. And I know they're not all the same. I know there's problems in the SBC. But I, I decided to work and network with people that the issue is not religion. It's let's reach the the world with the gospel of Jesus. We're not really worried about, you know, what you're wearing and whether or not you got an earring or that, who cares, whatever, whatever. What we're worried about is people need Jesus. We don't have much time. Let's get the gospel out. I feel like that's what I finally have done last week, and I'm ready for the next stage of the journey, wherever that takes us. Every head down, every eye closed.